0: It is Tag Sunday this morning. Every single um, year, the Sunday after Tag Camp, we do something called Tag Sunday. We have a little bit of fun. We play a game. We give away some free stuff. We try to get as many students on stage sharing testimonies of what God did in their lives at camp. Um, And and it's just an awesome time to kind of highlight our our youth. And and we really believe here um, at One Child. We believe in our youth fully. We believe that they are the leaders in the church. We believe that they're the ones who press the Spirit of God forward. You know, I believe fully that they, they lead worship from the front row, you know, in each of the campus. You go to any church uh, at one chapel, any, you know, Austin, Kyle, LT, Liberty Hill, it doesn't matter. The, the youth are the ones who are sitting in the front row, and they're the ones worshiping harder than everybody. And, and I think it's so amazing that we're a part of a church that does that. Um, and, and, and we went all out for TED camp. Um, I love hearing the stories of my kid came home and he slept for like three days. Um, because because you're, you're pretty exhausted after Tech Camp. But I just want to say this again. We did Kids Camp straight into Tech Camp. There was no there was no real breaks. And, and Kids Camp was awesome. We had about 120 kids come here. Um, we had over 35 kids make decisions to follow Jesus at that camp. We, we just had, it was an amazing time. And... You know, just a little plug, next year I need more help. I need your help. Anybody sitting in this seat, I need you to be a volunteer. But our youth were our army. They were the army of volunteers for that, and they did um, just an, just a fantastic job, just beyond measure of what I could even describe. They were so amazing with those kids. Um, but then, you know, they don't get much rest. They have to turn right around and go to tag camp and have this super exhausting, amazing experience with God, and And these last two weeks have have fully been the proudest moments of my life when it comes to ministry. I've been so proud of these students, the decisions that they made, um, the way that they led, the way they composed themselves. And I think we are so incredibly gifted here and blessed at One Chapel Lake Travis with an amazing core of youth who who want to run after Jesus with everything that they are. And and I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm so proud of our youth. Um and and I just want to I want to share that with you guys and know that you are a part of a church that's doing something really special. Um and has youth who are making decisions for God. Um and one of the you know one of the craziest times of Tay camp is that last night we do something where where we pretty much ask kids if they want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you know we had we had about 15 kids from from this church um be baptized in the Holy Spirit and Uh, There's been testimony after testimony of parents who are like, what happened to my kid? I don't know. They're just different. Um, And that's what we love. That's what we love. There's a good thing. There's so much good that's in there. But what we're going to come and kind of bring in, um, bring in some of Tag Camp here with you guys because uh, I, I think it's really important that you guys know the decisions that our youth are making and as well that you are leading those decisions because we are a multi-generational church. Every single generation is the most important generation in the church. The The, the elderly have a critical role of pouring in and pouring in their knowledge, their wisdom into our youth. The youth have an important role of carrying, of carrying the energy, of bringing the new ideas, of, of bringing the spontaneity and things like that into the church. We all have roles of raising or, you know, growing up in the church, and it's, and it's all a priority. And, and I want to, you know, one of the, the, the core values for, for TAG that we have with our kids, and I, I want to I ask everybody in, to participate in this, is we want kids to graduate and know that they have a relationship with God. You know, I think there's so much that we want them to walk out of high school and we know, we know that they encountered Jesus in our services. That they were led, that they were discipled, that they had every opportunity to meet his presence and also to commit to a relationship with Jesus. And and I think we do a really good job of that. and And I think... You see those testimonies in these kids up here on the front row and mixed in here. And and it was amazing, amazing time at Tide Camp. But here's what we did. We looked at Jeremiah 1, and there's so much in Jeremiah 1. I could probably talk at you guys for a long time, but I won't. I'll try and be quick here. So Jeremiah 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go go to everyone I send you to and to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched my mouth, and he said, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow and to build and to plant. So we're going to look at this verse. And and, and the the first point I have, I have five points today. It's kind of a simple, straightforward, punch-you-in-the-face message. I like it like that. It's fun. But the first point is that God likes you. Does anybody know that God likes you? You know, how many of us have heard God loves us, right? God loves you. And, you know, it seems like something that's just said so much, which is good because it's true. God loves you. But it almost is like we take it for granted. Like how many of us, Every moment of our lives, every decision that we do, every single thing, the moment we wake up, the moment we go to bed, the moment we go to work, we eat our breakfast, we sit and we think about how much God loves us. We don't, we don't really work like that. You know, maybe once in a while, but it's, it's, not, it's not this. But, but there's something about when you like somebody that's a little, it's got a little bit of an extra flavor to it. You know, it's kind of funny, I had, I had Sheldon and Christian, they spent the night at our house last night, and we just did stupid stuff and played video games and whatever, and, um, you know, and, and there's something about, you know, when you, have, when you have some youth, you know, high school, middle school, whatever, college-age kids, you know, and, and all of a sudden you see them on their phone, and they just, you know, they make those little faces, you know, they're like looking at their phone, and they've got this little face, like, you know, and you, and, you, and, you know, instantly, once we see it, you know, you're like, "What? who are you texting over there, huh? Texting a girl? Do you, do you like a girl? Is there a, is there a girl? You know, and you just, you, just get this, you just get this feeling when you like somebody. When you like somebody, you can tell. Right? When a middle schooler likes somebody, they're glued to their phone. That thing buzzes. They're like, oh, she texted. What did she say? She sent me a smiley face. I don't know what that means, but you know, and it, just all these emojis and stuff like that. But but there's this response that they're just obsessed with it. When you when you like somebody, when you're in that dating, when you're in that honeymoon little stage, you're obsessed with it. You're obsessed with every single thought. You can't wait until they send you a text message. You can't wait until you see them again. You can't wait until they just give you a little bit of attention, right? And 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 there's something that's so magical to this that God likes you. God likes you, right? When we're in middle school, we write those little tiny notes, you know, with, do you like me? Check no, or check yes. Which one? Check which one you like, right? And then we, <laughs> Or, or usually it's like, You give it to their best friend and you say, Hey, can you give this to that girl over there? Because I'm too scared. And but we just we just have this thing and, and I feel like the Lord, the Lord is giving you guys a note saying, Do you like me? Because the Lord likes you. And the Lord is actually fascinated with you. The Lord is obsessed with you. Okay, the Lord when we go to prayer, the Lord acts like, oh my phone just buzzed. I'm going to run to it. I can't wait because they just sent me a text message. It's one of those people, you know, who are so obsessed. They read your text before you even send it because they were just waiting. The Lord wants you to talk to Him because He likes you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And there's a, there's, there's a concept to that and I want to look at this. The woman issued the blood in Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to skim through it um, you know, there was this woman, she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Okay, if you don't know what the bleeding is, um, she was bleeding. Uh, we won't dive into that. Um, but anyway, she had suffered for a long time. She went to everybody, and nobody could help her. Yet, instead of getting better, she just got worse and worse and worse. She went to all the doctors. She she did this and, and, and just got worse and worse. And then Jesus came to town, and she's like, if I just touch his clothes I will be healed, right? There's so much in that faith that she had, but... She touches him, and immediately her bleeding stops, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around to the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And I love this. I always like to make fun of the disciples because they're always so dumb, and they ask the dumbest questions, and they say things like, Jesus doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, they're like, you see this crowd? Of course somebody touched you. What do you mean somebody touched you? And, and Jesus is like, ah, no, 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 no. Who, who touched me? And then the woman, look what the woman does. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, there's this thing with Jesus. You know, I feel like so many times when we talk about God's love, we kind of perceive it as like... (laughs) God needs this great love just to be able to love me. Like, God is love, and God has an abundance of love, but I am unworthy to be loved. And and, and we, we sit in this this concept where, like, I need to clean up my life in order to really experience. I need to do this in order to experience God's love. And it doesn't matter where you are at because if we understand that God likes us and he is actually obsessed with us, and the first thing that the Lord says to us, the first thing when we feel shame, when we feel fear, when we feel like we're unworthy, when we feel like we're taking advantage of him, when we feel like that, the first thing that the Lord says to us is, daughter. That woman was sick for years. Jesus healed her. And instead of Jesus saying, like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you taking my power? Or instead of Jesus being like, yeah, that's right, you needed me to heal you. Like, yeah, you were sick. You're you're messy. You're, you know, you're welcome. Instead of doing that, Jesus relabels her as his daughter. He re- relabels her as her rightful place in the kingdom of heaven. He says, daughter. The Lord likes you. It, you know, Haley and I, I haven't had the blessing of being a, a parent yet. We have puppies, and, and I think that's like the world to me. But people with kids tell me it's not that special. Um, I say you're a liar, but that's okay. Um, but there's something about, you know, when you, see, when you talk to a parent who has a baby. Now, you know, babies are not always the cutest thing in the world, okay? And, and babies do nothing for you, okay? They poop. They pee on you they puke on you, they steal all of your sleep, and they make your life literally miserable for way longer than you want it to be miserable. Way, way longer. Yet, you ask that parent, they love their child so much. That child does nothing. It's doing nothing for the parents in those moments. All it is doing is stealing from the parents. But yet, but yet those parents love that child more than anything in the world. Those parents call that child daughter. They call that child son, and the Lord looks at you the exact same way. It doesn't matter where you are at. It doesn't matter what you were doing. It doesn't matter in your walk. God likes you. He loves you. He calls you by your true identity, which is daughter or son of the king. That's the first thing. God likes you, and he wants a relationship With you. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The Lord knows you, not by what you think. He knows you as daughter or son. God delights in you. Number two, there's a personal decision to be had, right? Jesus writes you a note. He says, I like you. I think you're cute. What are you going to check? There's a personal decision. And I, and I think this is probably the, e- you know, one, the easier, we're going to talk about two decisions today. The easier the decision is right. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. There is a decision that we need to make. There is a response to Jesus that we need to make that only you can make and it's a private decision in you. Are you going to say yes or no to Jesus? Are you going to say Jesus is your Lord or are you going to say no to that? And I think that decision is a little easier for us to understand. We can kind of picture that. You know, most of us, probably most of us in this room have said yes to Jesus. And want to follow Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. We're going to talk about a little bit of a next step for that. Number three. You are set apart. You are set apart. Listen to this in Jeremiah 1.5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So what does that mean? Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says this. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my com- covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations. For the whole earth is mine, and unto me you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Listen, the Lord... The first time we see this idea of being set apart was with the nation of Israel, when the Lord set apart the nation of Israel to be his people. And you know, there's this concept in being set apart that you are set apart for a reason. Listen, the Lord did not set the Israelites apart for them to be in a different world. He didn't set them apart to like set them aside, like, hey, you're just going to go live over there. The Lord set them apart. He chose the nation of Israel to be the carrier of his presence. He chose the nation of Israel to go into the world and to show what will happen when God is on your side. He chose them to say, hey, if you have freedom, if you have the life, if you have the joy of the kingdom of heaven, and you're a nation that operates in this, you will look like the nation of Israel. So that the nation of Israel can be a light to the rest of the world, so that everybody else in the world can see that I am God, and that they can come and find him. And this is what the Lord has set you apart The Lord has set you apart, each and every one. He has set you apart before you were even born so that you can go and be a light to the world. He has set you apart so that when you go into your workplace, people will see you as something different. And if you take it even further, if you look at a world of darkness, if you have a dark room and you bring a light into a dark room, the light is set apart. It is different than the darkness. No matter where that light goes, it cannot be covered up because it is the light in the darkness. We are called to be the light in the darkness and be set apart to make a difference in this world. The world should know that we are Christians by our actions. The world should know who we are because we are set apart by the King. And here's that second decision and number four. It's a public decision. And I think it's this public decision that trips some of us up. You see, a private decision sounds really good because I have junk in my life. I've dealt with sin. I still deal with sin. I've dealt with selfishness. I still deal with selfishness. You know, I'm in this battle And the Lord offers me freedom, and I'm like, yeah, I want freedom. But listen, your personal decision does not bring you freedom until you make a public decision. Yes, the Lord says, declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and the Lord will save you. That is true. That is scripture. That is fact. I'm not taking anything away from that, but there's a public decision because you know, I, I call it being pinched in the middle because a lot of us want to make this private decision. You know, we make it in our homes, in our bedrooms. You know, in the private, I'm a Christian. In the private, I believe in Jesus. But then I go out into the world and I do whatever I want. I go to work, I say what I want. I go to school, I do what I want. And, and, and in the public, I'm kind of living this half life. And because I'm living this half life, I'm still dealing with problems the exact same way as the rest of the world. Nothing that the Lord has set me apart to do? Am I doing? So I'm stuck in the middle and I'm trapped in this and I'm experiencing the same death as the person next to me, even though Jesus says I'm saved. There's an idea of when we don't make the public decision that we stay in bondage. I want to tell you guys a story. When I was in college, I worked for a logging company. It was pretty fun. I got to chop down trees and do stupid stuff. and um, You know, Most of my job was working on this big giant machine. It had a six-foot chop saw blade on it. It had like 177 teeth on it that were like this big, you know, just this huge giant saw. If you can imagine, literally the saw was bigger than me because I'm only 5'10". So it was, it was a six-foot saw, and it was this big machine. You'd put a whole tree on the machine, it'd run down a conveyor belt, and you'd chop it up into little pieces on this saw, and it was pretty crazy. And that's most of what I did. And literally, you're, you're sitting there, you have this little tiny piece of fiberglass, um... And then a six foot saw. Like if I wanted to, if I held my hand out like this and brought the saw down, it would cut off my hand. You know, thinking that would probably be the way that I would get hurt at this logging job. Because that was what I did most of the time. But once in a while, once in a while, I would go out and do some deliveries. And me and my buddy went out and did this delivery. We had to deliver, you know, 200 bags of wood or something like that. And, uh, you know, whatever we drive, we drop it off, and we're driving back, and we're in the middle of a Wisconsin cornfield on a back row. There's nobody around for miles. And all of a sudden, the turbo air hose pops off the engine. Simple fix. I'd fixed it before. Uh, It's just a little hose clamp. You know, so we go, and and we were driving driving a semi-truck. It's one of those trucks with the flat noses on them, and the cabs flip up forward. Okay, like, you don't pop your hood in this truck. You literally, like, you take the whole cab and you tip it up forward. And, and you know, so we get out and, and, you know, we go to pop this cab up and we can't move it at all. Like, we, we unhook it and we're, like, you know, we're looking around acting like idiots. Like, do we, do we miss a hook? You know, like, when you're, like, pulling on something and you forgot to, like, actually undo it. You know, that's what we're thinking we did. And, and finally we just realize, okay, it's just really, really heavy. So we, you know, get our man on. And uh, pray a little bit, you know, because the Lord is good. So he's going to help us. He's going to give us strength. And, and after, you know, on the last try, we're like, this is it. This is the last try. We ended up getting it up. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm laying on the engine. So I'm reaching in the engine like this. You know, it's a big semi, and I'm a little shorty. So, you know, I'm like, ah, standing on the tire, kind of a deal. And I'm reaching fully extended, and I'm fixing this little hose way out in front of me like this. And, um, you know, I'm leaning over the engine, and a semi drives by, and the wind of the semi um, broke the bar that was holding the cab up, and it fell on my back. So I'm laying now in an engine like this, supermanned. you know, there's a bar on that cab, and it came down right here on my back. You know, thankfully, your ribs in the back are kind of more just cartilage. Otherwise, I for sure would have had lots of broken ribs. And, and and, 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 in a, and you know, my face is touching the engine. You know, it's like this. And I don't know if you guys know this, but when you have a running vehicle, the engine is not cold. Um, so I literally... It, from one in a, in a in a second, I I go from fixing whatever a hose to the skin on my face is is burning off, and I lose all of the breath in my body because I had a two thousand pound cab fall on my back, and um, just like that, if. If I would have been there for 30 seconds, I probably would have died. Because it was crushing. Because I was stuck in the middle of an engine. And somehow, we don't know how, my friend doesn't know how, he, he kind of says he felt like somebody else was there. You know, we were two miles from the nearest house. Like, by the time he tried to go anywhere, you know, by the time we called anybody, I would have been dead. But he's he, somehow he picked it up by himself off of me so that I could get out. And I just had a burnt face and a really hurt back. And, you know, the Lord kind of brought that story back up to me because sometimes we can be pinched in the middle and get stuck. And when we're pinched in the middle, there's only death there. There's only death So if we have this private side over here where we're like, yeah, I'm privately a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to be in that atmosphere. But then we're stuck in between public. We can't actually go out. We're just going to be experiencing the same death because we're stuck. We're stuck. Community is so critical. We need to make public decisions to follow Jesus. Because if I was by myself in that moment, I'd be dead but I had somebody else who could come into the process and to pick me up. Community is so critical. It is the thing that moves our faith forward. You know, community is encouraging. Community is fun. Community attracts the Holy Spirit. When we gather together to worship in community, it attracts the Holy Spirit. Where two or more are gathered, I am there. The Lord is with us when we are in community. That's why church is so important. You can't do this without church. You can't do these things without a small group. You need to be with other believers. Because we need to be making the public decisions. And number four, community fosters love. You can't love somebody if you're not around anybody else. And you can't be loved by somebody else if you don't ever go there. Community fosters love. And the first step to this is baptism. The first step to walking into your community with Christ is to become baptized. Listen to this in Matthew 3.13. And then Jesus left Galilee to come to the Jordan and to be baptized by John. And John's like, I don't want to baptize you. You're Jesus. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus was like, no, I must do this because it's, I need to do all that God requires. And then John baptized Jesus, and as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him, and he saw the Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. And then suddenly, the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and my greatest delight is in him. Listen, if we look at scriptures, there is nothing in scriptures other than prophetic words that would separate Jesus. He was a carpenter, that's what he was. He knew a lot about scripture. He was a man who was a carpenter who was living his life. There is nothing in scripture that formally sets him apart physically until this moment. This moment is this thing where the Lord descends on him like a dove and sets him apart. He had all those prophetic words spoken over him, sure. But this was the moment where the Lord said, I'm kicking your ministry off. This decision started Jesus' ministry. He wasn't really doing much ministry-wise before this. He was a carpenter working with his dad, living with his brothers. Doing, he was doing his thing. But then all of a sudden, he makes this decision to be baptized. And the God sets him apart and appoints a new path to Jesus. And, and, and you might say, well, that was Jesus. You know, he was, He's Jesus. Well, listen. Jesus had a lot of prophetic words spoken over, but, but so do you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. There's a private decision, and there's a public decision. And when we make both of those decisions, we begin to walk as being set apart. We need both. You can't be set apart if all you're doing is leaving your Christianity in this seat or in your house. We need to take it with us. Number five, you are set apart for a purpose. You are set apart for a purpose. Listen to this in Jeremiah 1.10. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the craziest thing about God, and I still don't understand why he did it. He has supernatural power. He could literally, like, create a storm with a face in it where he just tells the world, hey, I'm God. Worship me. And we probably would all just worship him, and it'd be fun. But no, the Lord has chosen you and me to build his kingdom. He has said, I want to build my kingdom through you. So here you go. Here's my Holy Spirit. Here's how I set you apart. Go, I am choosing you. And I don't understand why he does that, but he has chosen us. And listen, there, there, so many times I've heard as a pastor, if God is so good, if God is so strong, if God loves us so much, then why doesn't this world look any different? If God loves the people in this church so much, then why doesn't the Lake Travis area look any different? And here's the deal, because people don't like off-brand stuff. Okay, the Lord has asked everything of you, and when we come short of what the Lord has asked of us, it is something that is off-brand. Does anybody like anything that's off-brand? Okay, my wife, this morning, I opened up the cabinet. I was all excited. She got lucky charms. I was thrilled. It was lucky charms. I opened up the box. The box on it says, Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms. I'm like, what? It wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't real Lucky Charms. It was Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms. And I love Frosted Flakes, and I love Lucky Charms, but together, they are not very good. I was really disappointed. My dog ate my cereal this morning, okay? I didn't, all right? We don't want something that's off-brand. When we, get, when we go to something and we get it, and when we get the great value version, you know, you get like the great value garbage bag, you know, you put a feather in it, and it falls to the ground and rips open and makes a mess in your house. Like, we don't want something that's fake the world does not need fake Christians the world does not need off brand Christians the world needs Christians who say I am going to make a decision for Jesus I am going to do great things I am going to go I am going to be the one send me God because I want to make a difference and I want to be on brand and there's a lot of off brand Christians in this world that are stunting the growth of the kingdom of God here's kind of the last thought I want to leave with you guys You know, Pastor Brent shared this in his message at Tay Camp, and I just love this so much. It's not about doing great things for God. Because this message is very easily took as like, hey, you're not enough right now. Like what you're doing with your life is not enough right now. You need to go become a televangelist. You need to get a million followers on Instagram and start making a difference. You know, you need to grab a sign and go out to this corner of 71 and start sharing. You, know, you need to do these things. You need to make a decision to be great. You need to find a way to take your average life and do something great with it. And that's so many times that these messages are, a like that, and it does so much harm because so many times we say, Lord, I want to follow you, but then we don't see the great steps. It's not about you doing great things. This is such an important thing. It's not about you doing great things, because if you do great things, you just become great. And God doesn't ever get the glory. What the Lord, the Lord is not asking you to do something crazy and to do something just ridiculous and to become somebody that you're not. What the Lord is asking you to do, he's asking you to do things for a great God. It's not about doing great things for God, it's about doing things for a great God. And listen, this is why this message is built on two decisions, a private decision and a public decision. Because if we make a private decision to follow Jesus and we act it out publicly and we say to our friends, when we go to work, we are a Christian. When we go home, we are a Christian. When we go to the store, we are a Christian. When we drive down 71, we are a Christian. When we begin to live a public Christian lifestyle, the Lord builds his kingdom through us. He's not asking you to be something great, asking you to be something that he didn't create you. He said, I set you apart to follow me and to obey me and to make decisions every single day so that I can build my kingdom through you. And what the Lord says, the Lord says what he's going to do is he's going to uproot kingdoms. He's going to tear them down and he's going to build up new ones because I've chosen you to do that. And it's all in a decision. It's all in a decision. The Lord gave me these two words, fortify and expand this week. We are called to fortify and expand his kingdom through our decisions. The first decision is I will follow Jesus. That's my decision. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm going to fortify my walk with God. I'm going to do it. And the second thing is expand. I'm going to follow Jesus, not just in my room. I'm going to follow him publicly not just in these seats, I'm going to follow him publicly. We are called to fortify and expand his kingdom, and all you have to do is begin to make decisions for Jesus. The little things, begin to do things for our Lord, and let him build his kingdom through you. So if you guys would, as as we close, if you would stand with me and just close your eyes, I just want to pray this over us. Lord, I thank you that you are so good, Lord, that you've Come into our lives and and saved us, Father. That you have been so good to us. You love us so much, Lord, and I just pray, Father, I just pray that we will make decisions for you. Lord, that we will take your word, that we will take our relationship with you, Father, and we will say, I will. I will worship you. I will follow you. I will obey. Lord, because when we make simple decisions to follow you, Jesus, you do great things through us. So, Jesus, I thank you that you are so good to us, Lord. And I pray for each and every one here that we will make decisions this week. We will make decisions this week to build your kingdom we will make decisions to build your kingdom. You know, one way of a public decision is, is through communion. It's a, it's, a, it's a decision to partner with Jesus in the body of Christ. He sits at the table and he invites you to the table and he says, hey, take this bread. Take my body. You know, so we're gonna participate in communion here as we close in this last song. And, and I also don't want you guys to miss the words to this song because this song is Is all about, you know, hey, if the world sings of the beauty and the splendor and the glory of God, I will too. I will worship you, God. So let's make that decision here this afternoon. So the way we do communion is one chapel. We have open communion. You don't have to be a member. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we'd love for you to partner in the Lord's Supper. We'll start in the front. We'll exit through the middle. So each side will just circle around back to their chairs. And you guys can take communion, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and take it as you please. And then just participate in this worship of declaring the goodness of God and declaring that I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you, Lord. So we just declare that, Father, I will follow you. I will follow you. Everywhere I go, in Jesus' name.